Sorry, Em, the day you've been waiting for has finally arrived. It's time to talk about Catholicism. Oh, thank God. I have been waiting. (laughs) I know. I know. Today, my Catholic school education is taking center stage because if you think about it, when people hear spiritualism or the occult, the things we talk about on this show, people tend to connect that with religion, oftentimes organized religion. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Nothing I love more than Jesus, so I'm very <laughs> yeah. excited. That's what I always say about M. One thing you got to know about M, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, we got everything in common, obviously, so. <laughs> well, organized religions like the Catholic Church do have rituals and customs, even if they don't really call them that, just like the people and groups that we've covered on this show before. And today we're going to dig into the big ones when it comes to the Catholic faith and see how we think they compare to the more magical ones we talk about more often and see, you know, where do they stand? Cool. Let's see where they stand. I have an opinion on where they stand. Let's see. (laughs) I can't wait to hear your wisdom Mm -hmm. when it comes to this topic. everyone and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today, we're going back to church. We're going back to Catholic school, something I was hoping I'd never have to say again, but here we are. I'm very excited to have a recovering Catholic teach me about Catholicism. (laughs) Well, let's hope I get it right, because otherwise I think I'll have a lot of people after me. Okay, cool. Well, let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. We've talked about this before, um, this connection between organized religion and kind of the occult and spiritualism. And I think they like to keep themselves separated, but oftentimes they do overlap. But that's just my personal opinion. I definitely think they overlap. I feel like we talked about this a few episodes ago that Christianity is weirdly similar to a lot of the occult. And I feel like they pretend like they don't overlap a lot, but they do. I feel like they both believe in 
magic, even though Christians like to call them <laughs> miracles. Right, right. Exactly. But your main character like walks on water. So you tell me. Yeah, yeah. So does Chris Angel explain that? Yeah. And also like the occult, like it's all supernatural. And again, Christianity likes to pretend that they're not into the supernatural and they're very vehemently against it. But again, like your main character, like came back to life feels pretty paranormal to me. You are on a roll. I don't think I even need to say anything. I mean, let's just keep going. But yeah, well, they both believe in a higher power most of the time. They both have to have some sort of belief system and rituals. They both talk about the afterlife. You know, one talks through a Ouija board. One prays, but they're both talking to things that aren't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, you think of the rosary, they're holding beads and there's like symbolic items and mass has all the different layers to it. Yeah. They even say the word sacrificial in the freaking mass. So Mm -hmm. like, hello. okay. I think really the main difference is that like one feels more. One we're told is more intimidating and one is actually more intimidating. That's a great way to put it. I think of the occult, I think, because we were all told like, oh, don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't be a part of that. I feel like because it was left so vague and mysterious, I somehow now associate it with being more open to curiosity and open Mm -hmm. to experimenting with it and like seeing where you fit in that kind of community. But the other one is like mainstream mainstream and also like don't you dare question it we already have the answers and it feels a little more rigid and cold compared to like oddly the warmth in my opinion of the occult i feel like there's more range with the occult yeah you can really get into it or just a little bit yeah i totally totally agree um there's more room to like make it your own i think Mm -hmm. in the world of spiritualism honestly a better answer than i could have ever given so nice oh well you are welcome (laughs) well you my little catholic school girl you went to (laughs) catholic school for how many years let's see age three or two and a half or three to 18 so however many years that is 15 a lifetime okay so too many (laughs) when we're talking about the sacraments today was there a class you had to learn about this like where did you learn about this honestly i wish i remembered like the exact point at which I learned about them, but it was something that we learned about throughout my entire education. So I would say we started talking about it maybe in kindergarten or first grade, Mm -hmm. like very early. And then as we grew older and every year we had religion class. And so a fun thing we do now is remind my parents how much money they were paying and we divide up the classes and say, look how much money you were paying for us to learn about you know, that only men and women can get married. I hope your money was well spent. (laughs) Stunning parenting. Yeah, yeah. They were trying their best. They didn't really know what they were getting into. But yeah, we learned about the seven sacraments starting like first grade. I mean, I'm sure I still have like coloring activities that we had to do and, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, kindergarten, you know, we were filling out like religious (laughs) drawings and stuff like that. Do you know anything about the seven sacraments before we kind of jump into this? Well, on my dad's side, all my cousins were Catholic. Oh. So I have been to many communions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only one I know. Baptism, maybe? Mm-hmm. Is that one? Ding, ding. Is a funeral one? Nope. Marriage? Yep. Sure. Let's end it there. Oh, wait. There's a confirmation, right? Oh, my God. You're good at this. I am half Catholic, my friends. Okay, I know what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't think you can be half Catholic, as we just discussed, you know? Maybe not in spirit, but my father likes to let me know that that is where I stand, apparently, religiously. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into it now because Catholics will 
probably, at least if they're like strict Catholics, will probably shun the world of rituals, our beautiful, safe world we've created. Because, you know, the religion does involve witchcraft. In fact, like you said, it's usually pretty opposed to witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Magic, the supernatural, that's kind of not in their wheelhouse. But there have been some researchers and educators who believe those things are sort of companions of organized religions because they allow the average person to participate in an otherworldly experience. So that's sort of like what you're saying, you know, like, oh, they have similarities in like believing in an afterlife and a higher power. You know, they kind of do Venn diagram. They like to pretend that they don't, but they certainly do. I think so. Retired Penn State professor and researcher Bill Ellis said back in 2004, the occult challenges the conservative social standards and dictates of religion, thus forcing it to come to terms with the totality of human experience, at times checking or repressing it. At other times, the occult finds ways to incorporate it into its own practices. Religion, in turn, provides a stable ground and safe destination for those wishing to experiment with alternative points of view, even alternative states of consciousness. Hmm. Okay. So it's sort of like a mainstream way to kind of look at something bigger, like consider the universe outside yourself, I think. Maybe have some questions answered in some way. Yeah, exactly. In like a safer way that's more acceptable publicly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, like you had mentioned, they all sort of point towards an afterlife, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. I also said it earlier, so it certainly makes sense since I said it. I don't <laughs> since know. Since your wisdom already announced it before I could even get to that bullet point. My expertise. Yeah, your yeah, expertise, yeah. I should say. Well, being strict Catholic means participating in the sacraments that we're going to talk about today to get in the good graces of God and thus be welcomed into heaven. That's the ultimate goal here. Oh, Yeah. Spiritualism really deals with communicating with the other side, and the occult really mixes things up with a more magical perspective. But you could argue some things within the Catholic Church do seem mystical. I know we've already talked about a few of those. They certainly do. The main man on campus can walk on water. It's very (laughs) mystical to me. Seems pretty mystical to me. When you look into the Catholic Church for ritualistic behavior, mass is a really good starting point. So mass itself is a structured ceremony that includes an entrance procession. Like thinking about it outside of the context of church puts a new spin on it for me because I was just so used to going since I was like a week old every single week and at school that like it didn't seem weird to me. But now that I kind of say it out loud, it's like there's a entrance procession where like the priest is following robes. I feel like they start you young so you don't recognize how odd it can be. And like, this is not just me poo-pooing on Christianity because I feel like every religion's got some really weird, doesn't make sense rituals to them. Like, I yeah. mean, even think about when we were just talking about Rosicrucianism where like they stand in coffins or something and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like none of them make sense. Yeah, it's just part and parcel of the experience, the whole mystical, I guess not mystical, the whole religious experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a procession, an enters procession. They do readings of the gospel and then they conclude with blessings. And during mass, worshipers also exchange a sign of peace, which is usually a handshake. Did you ever do that at mass? Where you have to be like friendly to people? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I used to get so anxious that I would like sometimes leave to go to the bathroom right before that. I would get so, so nervous. Well, I would have the social anxiety of like, I know they're telling me I have to shake this person's hand, but if I shake their hand, then they're going to try to start a conversation with me and that just won't fly. Well, you can't talk because you just say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. But then you say, and also with you. Didn't they change it? No, that's a different thing. Okay. Okay. 
whatever. It's just like you're touching a lot of people. And I'm like, I never was into that. You know what I mean? I just wasn't feeling it. And my dad's a very like jovial person. So he wants to tell everybody. But I was afraid of getting people like him where like if I had to shake someone's hand, I was going to get a Bernie Schieffer who was going to be like, I ate a whole box of blueberries today from Kirkland Costco or whatever. <laughs> Little did you know you got that anyway because you became friends with me and had to hear it. I know it. Through me. I know it. Yeah. You couldn't escape. But anyway, so there's like a sign of peace. But I remember during COVID, I went to mass and you weren't allowed to shake anyone's hand. And I was like, this I can deal with. Sure. Like just kind of a glance, like peace be with you. Peace be with you. Don't got to touch you. I would just do the peace sign. What's up? That too. Yep. Peace be with you. Sign. I can get down with that. So that has shifted at least during COVID. Then you take Holy Communion where you eat bread and drink wine. It's way less fun than it sounds. Yeah, that I can confirm. (laughs) Yeah, you're not really eating bread in the traditional sense. And you're not really drinking wine in my kind of sense. So there are cultural variations of mass around the world, but most of these rituals have been part of mass for over a thousand years. So like what you said earlier, when they kind of changed some of the wording, that was a big deal because this stuff has lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. But the most ingrained rituals or rites in the Catholic faith are the seven sacraments. And these are the rituals that carry the Catholic person, quote, from the cradle to the grave. End quote. Okay. They couldn't <laughs> say womb to the tomb. They couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, wait, that's so much better. I'm telling you, the Christians need to up their game. Come on. We got to stay dry. You know, we can't be laughing and like joking. From the womb to the tomb could be a hashtag. You could get people back in. You know what I'm that's saying? That's like one of those mega churches, I feel like, could adopt that hashtag for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. The Catholic Church is way more serious than that kind of thing. So the Catholic Church says someone goes through these seven rites. They call them rites rather than rituals, even though mm, they're the same. mm, Same thing. To gain grace through God. So every time you take part in a sacrament, you get more grace and you become closer to God. The worshiper has to give themselves fully to their faith in God and belief in the sacraments for it to all work out as it's supposed to. And there are actually three categories to these sacraments. The categories are initiation, healing, and vocation. Okay. So you actually got all of the initiation ones. So good job. Well, look at me go. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. You got baptism, Eucharist, which is your first communion. Oh, okay. Where you take the Eucharist and confirmation. So those three are the initiation rites. Mm -hmm. Then there are the vocation rites, which are marriage and then holy orders. Okay. And then healing involves reconciliation and anointing of the sick. So you really got four of the seven. I mean, you got more than half. That's pretty impressive. It's almost like I'm half Catholic. (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. The dissection begins up next. I'll tell you what happens during each of these sacrament rituals that lays the groundwork for someone to be considered a good Catholic. Okay, I'll go get my pen and paper for this. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Log it down. Behind every missing person is a story to be told. Look closely at the details and you may just find the answers. Find the answers, find the truth. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances. 
Every Thursday, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases, tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. From the tragedies of Amelia Earhart and Charles Lindbergh Jr. to the mysterious circumstances surrounding Tierra Williams and the Iguala mass kidnapping, each week on Disappearances, we're spotlighting the stories you thought you knew and the ones you'll be shocked to discover. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The truth is out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. All right, so first up, we're talking about initiation rites. And the first batch of sacrament in the Catholic Church are part of this initiation, and it's something all groups have that involves rites or rituals. So for the Catholic Church, it starts with baptism, as you Mm -hmm. have already so graciously brought up. And this is pretty much the ritual that even non-Catholics think of when you consider, like, entering into the Catholic Church. It's, you know, the classic, the little babies do this. The little babies, oftentimes babies. Some groups of Christianity actually prefer, we'll get into this later, but prefer to do it as adults so that you are more kind of aware and Oh, I like that. Yeah. And some, you know, have it where you can be re-baptized. It's a whole thing anyway. Oh, So according to the Vatican, to baptize means to immerse in water. Baptism as a symbol of forgiving sins started with, get this, John the Baptist. Makes sense. Mm. I literally never put that together. (laughs) Oh, well, here you go. Fun fact. He was the one who baptized Jesus. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, I'm learning things now. Okay. And since Jesus was baptized after he rose from the dead, he told his disciples they also should get baptized. Got it. And that is how this ritual, I'm sorry, rite became (laughs) part of the norm. (laughs) Welcome to Parcast Rites with Christine Cooper and My apologies. My apologies. Christians believe baptism is a way to cleanse someone from original sin and that this is the official entry point to the church. You essentially wipe the slate clean and you start clean as your Catholic journey begins. And yes, I see the face you're making. And my mother famously had the same issue, I I imagine, as what you're having when I was baptized as a baby. (laughs) As my other half, the Jews would say, I'm having a bit of a conniption over here because I... I am certainly not following now. Why is a baby having to wipe the slate clean? Aren't That's they the thing. brand new to earth? Because what of original they, sin. What, so they were born dirty sinners? Oh, yeah, yes. that's right. Ugh, gross. Hello, okay. ding dong. Yeah, you put it together. My okay. mother stood in that church and said, you will not call my baby a sinner. And they were like, you literally we have yet. to. They were like, we have to. And she's like, but you won't do it. And so she <laughs> fought them on this until they finally took out the part where they called me a sinner. 
And I think they changed it to like, we are all sinners. And she was like, whatever, that's better than calling my baby a sinner. But the idea really is that like we are born as sinners because Eve screwed it all up, you know, classic woman. (sighs) I know. Well, feeble minded female, as they say. (laughs) So in a lot of Catholic families, they baptize their infants right away. You know, I was baptized. It was just part of our tradition in our family and in our neighborhood. And we just went along with it. Infants are usually baptized during Sunday Mass. They're dressed in white to symbolize purity, even though they're dirty sinners. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say riddle me that. Maybe it's because by the end of this, they will be pure. By the end, they'll be pure. That's true. And the priest starts the baptism by making the sign of the cross on the baby's head with holy oil and then pours holy water over the baby's head three times. The baby's godparents also make a promise to reject evil in the name of the baby, and the family is then handed a lit candle to receive the light of Christ. So other denominations, which I kind of hinted at, including Baptists and Pentecostals, think you should be baptized as an adult because Jesus was baptized as an adult and you can make your own decisions. And so, you know, there are different, I guess, denominations of Christianity that do things a little differently. But typically, as a Catholic, you are baptized as an infant. That's just the normal way of doing it. Got it. The next initiation rite is the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is what you called First Communion. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is a ritual where Catholics celebrate the Last Supper, and during Mass, they are given bread that represents the body of Christ and wine, which represents the blood of Christ. If I said, oh, we're going to eat the bread, which represents the body of a being, a supernatural being, and then we're going to drink the wine of the supernatural being, is this Christianity or the occult? Which one would you guess it is? I feel like I would say it's Catholicism because I did it every single week for my entire life. And so I have a really hard time. Until I really pull back to see like, hmm, it's pretty odd. But yeah, growing up, that was the norm. They overlap. I absolutely agree. And so the difference between like First Communion and Eucharist is the First Communion is the first time you partake in the Eucharist, if that makes sense. And then after that, you every time you go to Mass, you partake in the sacrament. And I do want to make a little amendment here that I learned in school, which is that the bread and wine don't represent Jesus's body and blood. They are Jesus's body and blood. They are. They are. You want to explain that or are we just keeping it really vague? I really wish there were a better way to explain it, except that we were taught in Catholic school that once the bread and wine go through transubstantiation, as the priest blesses them at the altar, also altar, that word. Alone. I mean, are we Sorry. really going to pretend like this isn't? The- I know. Okay. <laughs> Every time I say it now, I'm like, wow, there really, there's a check, check, check. But after the priest, you know, blesses the Eucharist and it's transubstantiated, it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. Mm, that is a silly thought. I don't know how to else explain that to you. And I'm hoping that that's something I remember correctly. But I remember being so taken aback that I've never forgotten that lesson I learned. It is amazing. 
there's always something new to be said about organized religion. <laughs> like, I know I'm like really poo-pooing on Christianity just because that's what we're talking about today, but give me another religion. I'll find, I'll be just as like in shock the whole way through. <laughs> just always like, wow, you guys come up with just anything. That's so I silly. think you have a very unique perspective in that you really weren't strictly raised in a religion. Is that correct? I was raised by a Jewish woman, a Catholic man, a Wiccan stepmother, and then a Presbyterian stepfather. And now I've got a Protestant stepfather. And so I was just kind of told, like, eh, we all got something going on. Right. So (laughs) So you weren't strictly within one of those umbrellas. No, I was just kind of taught we're all thinking weird things. It's just I see everyone's got something going on. It's just uh, different for every person. So I've heard of communion before and like the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and all this. And that was just as weird to me as some of the stuff my Wiccan stepmom was telling me or my Jewish mother was saying. I'm just like, what a silly world we live in. <laughs> we all believe, what did you say? My parents told me we all believe some weird stuff. Is that what we you do. Said? The way it was always taught to me is, you know, we don't really care what you believe as long as you just believe in something. But no matter what you believe, it's going to be weird to somebody. So To somebody else. That's a really great point. Yeah. And again, like, you know, this was a formative part of my early years. So I'm not just trying to, you know, completely diss it. I've just had my fair share of conflict within the structure of the Catholic Church. But, you know, that's okay. I have friends who are still in it. So fair enough. This Eucharist, this is where Catholics celebrate the Last Supper. So what we're taught about the actual Last Supper is that Jesus gathered his apostles in the Cenacle, which is a room in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And during the meal, Jesus broke bread and said, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which will be given up for you. That is toxic. Okay. Jesus also took a cup of wine, passed it around and said, take this and drink of this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Do this in memory of me. I've had that memorized since I was two. So it felt really weird for me to say it because usually the priest says it and Uh I just mouth the words under my breath. It's odd. I feel like if I went up to you and said that, you would have every right to like side eye me to take my blood, drink it. Someone in the room definitely looked at their friend and went, You sure? Yeah, it was Pontius Pilate. He was like, I think I'm going to become a traitor and not be part of this anymore. I think I'm going to step out. Maybe that was via the past life. Just like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I'm not feeling it anymore. <laughs> Young Catholic kids go through their first Holy Communion, usually around seven, which I think you called that earlier. Mm. And they accept the bread as part of the Eucharist. But wine typically is not part of this experience. So we used grape juice back in the day. Like, it must be embarrassing for Jesus to hear so many people go, his body tastes awful. Like, (laughs) grape juice? Like, I hope he's like, it's sparkling or something at least. Oh, no. I was a very sensitive and anxiety-ridden child. Catholic school didn't help that. But when we practiced for First Communion, we always used grape juice, but they always warned us, on the day, you're going to have the wine, the real wine, because it has to be Jesus's blood. And so we were always warned, like, you are going to be drinking this. And as a child, I was terrified. I was like, I don't want to drink wine. I'm six. I was so petrified of this, like, drinking wine thing. And The day of, I was panicked. I mean, panicked. The kids usually dress up. Girls wear white dresses. Boys wear suits. I wore a very frilly white dress that immediately got pasta sauce on it afterward. That's the devil's blood, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody was like, well, we knew. We knew this wouldn't go very far for her. It's okay. We tried our best. 
Catholic school prepares you for the first Holy Communion, but then the sacrament itself takes place in church. I actually did two Holy Communions because we did communion as part of our school. Uh, We had a chapel, so we did, you know, communion at school. And then my dad made me do it again at his church. So feels like they cancel out or something. There's got to be a math equation to that where it doesn't make sense. Maybe that's where everything went wrong. (laughs) I did it twice. Those two weeks where I was baptized once were just like my holiest time. And then I got it all canceled out. Oops. An already baptized Catholic is then able to participate in the sacrament of confirmation. So confirmation happens when the church considers someone old enough to renew and confirm the vows that their godparents took on behalf of them during baptism. But if you have just joined the church as an adult, for example, you can be baptized and then have your confirmation as well. But typically, if you're a baby who's been baptized and then you grow up, we had confirmation in about eighth grade. Yeah, Uh, 13, I remember. Yeah, exactly. And that's when we kind of like renewed our vows to the church. So confirmation usually happens during a mass led by the bishop, which I remember at the time was very special because the bishop wasn't just around for any old thing. Whoa. Did she like ask for his autograph? (laughs) Can you imagine? I didn't. I wish I had. Oh, okay. I would have put it next to my like Lilo and Stitch autograph from Disney World, you know. Because they're exactly the same. (laughs) Because they're in in my mind just (laughs) on the same level. So confirmation usually happens during mass led by the bishop, like I said, and what the bishop does is he anoints the person's forehead with holy oil. There are four parts to the confirmation sacrament. There is the presentation of the candidate, which is when you are called up to the altar. There is the renewal of baptismal vows, where the person about to be confirmed picks up the tab, essentially, to deflect their own evil. They're sort of taking it upon themselves. Like, my godparents have made this vow since I was a baby. Now it's my turn to say, I will reject evil Uh In the name of God, you know, you're your own accountability partner now. There you go. That's exactly it. The third part is laying on of hands where the person kneels before the bishop who reads the person's chosen confirmation name, which is usually the name of a saint. What was yours? I was going to say, do you know mine? Have I told you? No, but let me just take a stab at it. It's so boring. I'm what, Anne or Maria or something? Maria's already my middle name. What is it? It was Isabel. I just thought it was a pretty name. (laughs) What's she the saint of? You know, I tried to look it up earlier and there was really not much information. Like she didn't seem to be the patron saint of much at all. And then one Catholic website was like, she was not only very rich and royal, she also was very witty. And I was like, wow, good for her. So I don't know. (laughs) All my cousins picked really crazy names. Like there was one like one of my cousins, his confirmation name is Rocco. Or something. <laughs> and I, I was I like, been clever enough to do that. I was like, I know you did not pick that because you were committed to this affair. Like, you clearly were like told you had to pick a name and you just went with whatever you saw. You know what's so embarrassing is we had to make these little banners where we put our confirmation name and then put like symbols next to it of like either what they were the patron saint of or like something about our religious journey or whatever. And I had forgotten, of course, to get this done on time. So my stepdad took me to get supplies, but Michael's was closed and we had to like craft this at home. So we went to, I think we went to Home Depot and I bought mailbox stickers. And so in those like black, shiny rectangular mailbox stickers, it said Isabel. And I remember they put it way at the end and like basically covered up by like a bookshelf because it was so ugly. They knew back then. 
just like <laughs> she's gonna take herself off the list eventually we might <laughs> they as well were like, just they were like remember the spaghetti sauce incident <laughs> well it's happening all over again she's back <laughs> so yeah isabel was technically my confirmation name and i don't really know why except i thought it was a pretty name that's about it you know i think nowadays i would have probably spent days painstakingly right diving through every meaning of every book of every name i plan to after this i'm gonna go look through all the names and just see what i would have gone with yeah 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 rocco is probably a good one (laughs) yeah i think that's a winner so you have this confirmation name it's usually the name of a saint saint rocco for example and their sponsor then puts their right hand on their shoulder and the bishop puts his hands on the person's head now can i tell you who my sponsor was this whole time of my life was so stressful and not happy it was this weird guy my dad i don't even think he was a weird guy but he was just a random guy that my dad golfed with and he was your sponsor yeah i don't know what does that even mean he like read the bible with you no it meant nothing except that he showed up at this event put his hand on my shoulder and was like i am her sponsor in the catholic church and this random man his name was tony (laughs) Okay. And every time I saw him after that, he's like, my godchild. And I'd always be like, I'm not your godchild. I literally don't know you. We certainly had a moment together, but you we know, did I don't know about- have a moment. We did. And so anyway, then you're anointed with this holy oil. The bishop makes a sign of the cross on your forehead while saying, be sealed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then peace be with you, which the person repeats back to the bishop. And now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure this is the day I kind of fell away from this whole side of my upbringing. Which is so ironic because it was literally your confirmation. Exactly. On the day of renewing your vows, you went, "Mm, pass. (laughs) Never mind. I felt that cold feet thing, you know, and I was like, I know I did this technically, but like, I'm not feeling it. Like a lifelong commitment is pretty long. (laughs) It's a lot for a Gemini to really partake in, you know? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are also ways to lead others toward what Catholics would call salvation, and those are the sacraments of vocation. There is marriage, and there are holy orders. And for a Catholic to partake in the sacrament of marriage, they are publicly giving themselves to another and showing that they are entering a union of, get this, family values and God's values. And the rings are meant to symbolize both endless love and as a reminder that God is in your life. How romantic. (laughs) A Catholic wedding is also longer than a non-denominational wedding because you do the full mass, you do the communion, the sacraments are involved, it's a whole thing. And now there are the sacrament of holy orders. And this is something you and I are far removed from because this is when someone takes a vow to lead others using the sacraments by becoming ordained as a deacon or a priest. You basically devote your life to God and the church. Mm -hmm. And this sacrament actually is carried out by a bishop and Once you take the holy orders, you basically now have the power to pass on God's forgiveness of sins to others. And now you are kind of in the hierarchy there. There are three stages of the holy orders. So the first is being ordained a deacon. And a deacon can baptize, preach, and give communion, but only communion that has been transubstantiated, which is a word I used earlier. Yeah, it really threw me. (laughs) I, I don't know what that meant. For someone who is not a practicing Catholic, I say that word at least once every six months, and I don't know why. It just kind of comes up. Who are you talking to? Probably you. I probably just force it into conversation. It's a fun word, but it means that it's been converted literally into the body and blood of Christ. Okay. so (sighs) The chills I have. Yeesh. Yeah. 
dare I ask how someone does that or is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. The priest has to do that. The deacon can't change it. The deacon can only distribute it if it's been transubstantiated by a priest. So the next level of this holy orders is being ordained a priest who can change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ and forgive sins. So the way the priest does that is by saying that whole thing I told you earlier, take this, all of you, this is my cup of my blood. This is, So he does that whole thing. And you were taught to like really just, if you could hold on to <laughs> any semblance of logic here, you were told that you were to believe that really was the body yeah. of. So we're just ignoring that that would require full blown magical powers and time yes. travel to get to Jesus and then peel off a little piece of his skin and make <laughs> it into bread. And The idea is that it is transformed, not magically. I don't know the right word, but essentially magically. Some might say that man is a conjurer. No. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I remember hearing that. And I think we learned that in 10th grade religion class. And I remember going, now this is interesting. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. Nobody told me about the drinking Won't you blood. take me to <laughs> funky town? Because <laughs> what is going on here? That's the day I thought, okay, transubstantiation is a word I'm going to use every six months for the rest of my life because I uh-huh. think this is fascinating. Okay. Anyway, being ordained a bishop is the third level of the holy orders. And a bishop has the complete powers of the priesthood. So they can ordain deacons, priests, and other bishops using the holy orders. The bishop is the one who did our confirmation, that kind of thing. So the bishop is like higher up in the Uh hierarchy. Okay. Well, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still taking notes, Em? You lost me really with the whole someone can literally... (laughs) Pulled Jesus's skin out of a vortex and like have the bread. That's how it's coming across to me. No, congratulations to bishops. I'm sure that's. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's very hard, like schooling, to become a person. Yeah, it's like a that. lot of work. I imagine. I feel like that requires a lot of true study, like and a lot of dedication. Yeah, yeah. Coming up, we'll hit on two of the biggest sacraments a Catholic can face, both dealing with forgiveness and total spiritual comfort. Comfort is a really interesting word to use. Okay, cool. All right, we're ending on the healing sacraments. This is the third category of the seven sacraments. For obvious reasons, when you hear them, you'll understand why they're healing sacraments. These are reconciliation and the anointing of the sick. Mm -hmm. So reconciliation is also known as penance, and it means to be at peace again. And this is essentially where Catholics find God's forgiveness and are called to forgive others. Do you know much about reconciliation, the sacrament, or how that works for Catholics? I don't. Okay. I barely do anymore, to be honest. It's is this the, I don't know, what's it called? The thing where you go into one half. Okay. Yeah. A confessional. I've seen Elliot Stabler do it on SVU. Yes. That's a great example of how that works. (laughs) Where they tell you you have to do like a Hail Mary or something. A hundred percent. And you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then I forget the entirety of the rest of this process. But there are a lot of lines you have to say, and then they say them back. And it's a lot of memorizing. And then you confess your sins. Detective Stabler did not do any of that. That's new information to me. Where do you learn how to say all the right things? Do they give you a script? You have to practice it. Like in school, we had to practice it over and over again. Oh, okay. 
Well, let's learn about that then. Okay, so Catholics believe in four stages of forgiveness. The first is contrition, which is feeling guilty. We're good at that. (laughs) (laughs) We're really good at that. I can tell you that's one part of Catholicism I have not fully escaped from. I will tell you, my Jewish half can also really relate to that. I think that's where we find common ground. As Jews, as Catholics, that's where we kind of find each other. You're just all told that you should be ashamed of every single (laughs) moment of your life. You are a born sinner, apparently, and you should still feel guilty about it. So the next step is confession, which is like you basically tell on yourself to the priest. You confess your sins to the priest. The third is satisfaction. And this is when the priest lays down some chores to earn your forgiveness. And this is sometimes called penance. And this is usually what people think of. Like you mentioned, do 10 Hail Marys and Uh think about what you've done. And then there's absolution, which is finally the fourth stage, being free from the feeling of guilt. I've never quite reached that point in my life, but I think maybe (laughs) I should go to... A therapist. Oh, yeah. I was going to say reconciliation, but yeah, maybe just a therapist will help with that one. First of all, I like how feeling guilty is the first mandatory stage (laughs) of forgiveness. And that one's easy. Well, I was going to say, because it's technically mandatory, if those are the four stages, what if you just don't feel guilt about something? Are you just too dirty of a sinner and you just go to hell? What happens? I think then you just don't go confess. It depends. If you don't think it's a sin, then... Hmm. You don't think it's a sin. Risky little game we're playing. It's a little loophole. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, you have to feel guilty to really go in and say, I did something wrong. And if you're like a very good Bible reading, God-fearing Catholic, then obviously Mm -hmm. you would feel guilt anyway. Exactly. So So it's sort of like part of the process is like to know what sins you've committed, etc. And, you know, there's a lot of ritualistic stuff that goes on with this confessional because, you, like I said, you go in, you have to learn your lines, you have to then do these rites like the Hail Mary and, you know, you have to do them a certain number of times before God will forgive you. It's There's a lot of... um, complexes that I think have been created in children because of this procedure. (laughs) Oh, wow. You are the first to have said that, I think. I know. It's a bold statement. But I did once during reconciliation. I remember I was so nervous because I didn't know my lines. I was always just so nervous. I mean, I still have tummy troubles, as you know, to this day, because I think a lot of this really got to me. But I remember I had to confess a sin. And I was like, seven. And I was like, I don't really have any sins. And so they were like, you have to. Only seven years ago, I had my slate clean. Yeah, that's right. I'm clean slate. I haven't really mucked it up that much. And they were like, you have to confess. And so I said, oh, I stayed up too late the other day. Like, I stayed up later than my bedtime. And the priest was like, anything else? And I was like, no. And he was not happy. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to lie. Isn't that fun how, like, the priest is mad that you haven't sinned? That's what I'm saying. It's I like, was like, wait a minute. It's like, they made me do this. I don't know what to tell you. But so the only time I ever did it was at school because it felt like a lot of pressure. I don't like talking mysteriously through a dark thing. It was all very scary to me and I didn't like it. But it is one of the healing sacraments. So I don't know what to tell you. Okay, sure. The idea is that Catholics believe they need forgiveness to be in good standing with God. So a good Catholic will go regularly to confess their sins and be forgiven. 
But then there's the final sacrament, and this is also under healing, and this is the anointing of the sick, which is usually a Catholic's final sacrament. So this is kind of what do they call typically like in Christian, like your last rites kind of mm-hmm. when you hear someone say, oh, he got his last rites. So this sacrament anointing of the sick is given by a priest to someone who is about to get really sick or is close to passing away. And anointing the sick gives Catholics a few things, spiritual comfort, forgiveness of sins, strength and courage to accept illness, and relief from anxiety specifically about death, which I think is actually quite a beautiful sentiment. It definitely has good intentions. I think so. I do. It's sort of like, you know what, forget the things that that you've done in the past go graciously forward into this new chapter. I think it's a really beautiful thing. And anointing of the sick comes from the fact that Jesus took care of the sick and wanted his followers to do the same. So, you know, it has kind of a, at least a comforting, comforting background. And, and those are the seven sacraments. Whoa. So how do we feel now about these sacraments and how they compare to the other sort of rituals and occult behaviors we've covered on the show? I mean, I feel like we've been covering it as we go, but it feels no more or less special yeah. than any other occult affair. I feel like any ceremonial event is probably on the same level of funky, you know? You're totally right. And like the symbolism is there and like the point of it, which is like to get you to be dedicated the to this and all this. Yeah. yeah. And commitment and a dedication to it. I totally agree with you. I don't think even until today I realized like how strongly they kind of equate or correlate. I'm telling you. And like as someone who's looking within, I mean, I think they're all perfectly weird. We could be talking about Judaism. We could be talking we could be talking about the occult. And even though I'm like the biggest fan of the occult, I'd be like, that's fucking weird. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, what are you guys doing over there? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter what group of people I'm with, if they were telling me about any initiation that they're doing to commit <laughs> themselves to their Lord, I'd be like, okay, that's <laughs> Silly, but good Good for for you. you. (laughs) Good for you. I'm happy you went to Catholic school so you could so confidently help me along this journey. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from the Vatican, BBC, Patheos, Penn State University, and the Washington Post. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at The M. Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schieffer and M. Schultz. Hi, listeners. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances 
Listen free only on Spotify.